Me want to see the people rock and prance tonight. Revolution is inevitability. There's a limit to every man's ability to take shit from elected cabinets filled with prejudice, bias, and bigotry. Viciously taxing the poor, trying to ensure big bank liquidity. Tell the bourgeois when injustice is law, the right to resist become responsibility. You see it happening from Cairo to Tripoli, public unrest, anti West. Hostility, self-immolation, pyrotechnically ignites a nation to regain civility. Is that what it takes? Push a man till he breaks and take when dignity. When them lift them eyes up, people gonna rise up. Bun Babylon is a high probability. Everybody jump up. Everybody move up. Everybody jump up. Everybody move up. Welcome, everybody, to the Housing First podcast. I'm your host, Kara Burrell, and my guest today is Charles Purcell, the founder of Homeless United, an organization he created to raise money and donate to efforts to end homelessness. You can find him on Instagram at homeless underscore united. Like myself, Charles has experienced homelessness as well, and he has quite the story to tell. However, on today's episode, we will be diving into topics surrounding homelessness, such as systemic racism's role in the continuation of homelessness, the homeless industrial complex, and the lack of affordable housing in America. Welcome to the show, Charles. Well, thank you, Kareth. Glad to to be here. Yeah, thank you. So let's just dive into it. So I'll start off by asking, can you tell me about Homeless United and what your mission is with it? Well, yes, Homeless United uh, is a dream of mine that started uh, six years ago, a little more than six years ago. And the initial goal is to raise awareness about homelessness um, in an effort as far as through T-shirts and hoodies and other things to get the homeless people seen and also to imprint the message in people's minds that Um, homeless people are important because a lot of times people walk by homeless people every day and they see them, but they don't see them. Yeah. And so invisible, right? Exactly. They're the invisible community, the invisible people. Mm -hmm. So the idea of the awareness campaign was to help make them more visible. That's beautiful. So um, what is, what was the toughest part for you and your experience of being homelessness or being a homeless? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I think uh, the major thing is how people perceive folks who are experiencing homelessness, mm-hmm. who are, are essentially are unhoused neighbors. And um, I, 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 first, you have a, a difficulty with the term unhoused neighbors or being referred to as neighbors, because I really didn't think that people looked at homeless people as being neighbors. Yeah, I, I agree with you there. Else. But, you know, uh, we are part of the community mm-hmm. and um, we are to look out for each other and to help one another. So I think that, you know, the main, some of the main things has, has been the mindset and, and being on the receiving end of that, um, you know, people walking by and seeing you and, and they look at you and discuss um, like you're uh, a plague, um, right. you know, and uh, also just uh, 
folks being uh, unkind. I mean, I, I've experienced a lot of kindness. And I think a lot of that has to do with just my personal attitude mm-hmm. and my outlook on things. But there's also been those folks who, you know, who've been like, well, you know, what's wrong with you? Or just, you know, you just get a job, just, you know, yeah. do something. And it's like, well, yeah, it's not quite that easy. Although, you know, I don't make this about myself because I understand as far as me personally, it's kind of a, a, a little bit of a different situation, but, you know, walking in the shoes of folks who have experienced this and are experiencing it, talking to people um, and, and the things that have happened to them, it's, it's made me more compassionate than what I actually was. I think more empathetic in the plight of homelessness in this country. Right. Yeah, I'm definitely with you on that. Like, there's just so many misconceptions and especially with middle class America, mainly from my understanding is that middle class America believes that the criminalization of homelessness is an acceptable thing, that homelessness is a crime when and they're placing blame on the people who are trying to navigate these broken ass systems instead of placing the blame on the broken systems themselves. So there's just this, um, there's this stigma that a lot of Americans have about people experiencing homelessness. And um, it's one of the reasons why I started this podcast is because I wanna kind of shatter those, those misconceptions. So definitely with you on that. Mm-hmm. Um, many people hold the belief that homelessness is a choice uh, what's your take on that? <laughs> <laughs> um, I will say this. A, a few years ago, um, I had had an injury on my leg that required uh, some serious attention. And, and I didn't realize how bad it was until, um, <laughs> well, I won't go into details. But <laughs> 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 From a result of that, I went. I was in. I, I ended up in a clinic for homeless men, mm-hmm. and um, there was a gentleman there who had just had surgery, cancer surgery on his throat. Now, him and his brother elected to be homeless. They their their thing was to kind of be um, the old term of uh, you know uh, um, tramps or. Uh, I can't think of the word right now. No, man. Um, hobos, hobos. hobos. Um, you know, they just wanted to like camp out and, and live in the woods and that kind of stuff, right? That was wow. now, now I'm, 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 yeah, that's just, that was kind of like one person out of, in that situation, out of, you know, 20 men that I was with who elected that. And I say it to say this there's a very small percentage, maybe right. about 4% or less right. elect to be homeless. Yeah. Um, that is that, not- That, that leaves it, 96% of people it, experiencing homelessness that is not by choice. Exactly. Right. And, and that's why the system is broken though, right? Because we focus on that 4%. Yeah. Instead is, of focusing so on- the 96%. Right. And so, you know, the, the major, I mean, there's a case in DC where you know I, I live now. I'm originally from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, but my home has been Washington, D.C. since 1984. Um, but there was a case 
in D.C. a couple of years ago about a couple. And, and the reason why they, it came to light was because a, a, a student from Howard University, uh, I guess, in her routes, you know, helping homeless people met this couple. These were uh, this was a couple who had jobs. <laughs> they yeah. were working mm -hmm. and they were living on the streets in a tent because yeah. they couldn't afford the rent. Right. Uh, you know, rent in D.C., as it is across the country, is ridiculous. Yes. And as we know, you know, people, um, you can't live uh, in, in a two-bedroom or in some places even a one-bedroom apartment making minimum wage. Uh -huh. So, you know, the biggest, the biggest uh, um, percentage of people who are homeless are, is, is people who are working and just can't afford affordable housing. Mm -hmm. I think there's a percentage of like 45% people who are experiencing homelessness is homeless because of lack of affordable housing. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that is one issue. And then you have, you know, the mental uh, illness issue. Yeah, that's about and 20 to 25%. Exactly. And I think at one time they were quoting something like 30%, but they've revised it. It's not quite that high. It's, it's right, like you said, it's more in the 20 percentile range. Yeah, roughly. And then you have folks who do have, you know, substance abuse issues, right? Um, which, again, uh, you can't, you know, force people to get help, mm -hmm. um, but there should be an avenue available for folks who do. And, um, you know, there's a young lady who contacted me a couple of years ago who, who she asked me to help me help me to help her find her brother. And I was like, well, you know, uh, do you have a picture, <laughs> you know? And she said, yeah. And, and I shared it on my Facebook page and on my Instagram. Mm -hmm. And people actually, I was actually quite um, amazed at the response. Uh, and uh, people responded, oh yeah, I've seen him around this Metro station and blah, 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 blah. She was able to contact him. Now he was on the streets because of a heroin addiction. Okay. He was able to, you know, they were finally able to contact each other. He called her because he didn't want to talk to her because he was ashamed of his, you know, embarrassed. Yeah, um, I get that. Right. But, you know, and, and eventually he got arrested, which was a good thing because it kind of forced him to get cleaned up. Well, sadly enough, though, after he was released, the addiction was just too strong. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's, that's my whole thing. Like, right. once someone gets clean with the traditional approaches with the, uh, to end homelessness we have right now in America, in comparison to housing first, like, the traditional or treatment first approach is like, okay, someone doesn't have a home, and they have substance abuse disorder, they get clean, where, and then they get out of rehab or wherever they get, wherever they get treated, where are they going to go? They're going to go back on the street and likely relapse. Right. So that's why I named my podcast Housing First, because it is quite literally the solution. Like to you give people a home and then you have support services for them. And then they're voluntary. Like, like you said, you can't force somebody to get help. It has to be on their own, their own choice. And that's the beauty of the Housing First model. Mm -hmm. So you and I both know that there is a lot of money in keeping people homeless and in the shelter systems, for example. Can you tell my listeners about your knowledge of the homeless industrial complex? Well, um, yeah, it's, it, it, it's, it's really kind of, it's, it's a sad state of affairs because we are spending, this country does spend a lot of money 
or throws a lot of money at homelessness, I should say, um, but it's not being used appropriately, right? Right. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the, I know of cases, there's an organization in DC that feeds the homeless and they do have some shelters and they provide some medical, um, medical uh, uh, services, but they get, you know, as far as uh, monies, they also get food donations. Okay. And um, I know of cases where they've thrown the food away, good food, that they got too much of that they weren't going to use. And instead, oh of, giving, instead of giving it to other organizations, that's insane. They throw it away. Um, as far as the shelter system is concerned, there are places which now, granted, some of this food that they've been throwing away could actually probably go to some of these shelters because there's these shelters that um, some places don't even provide for you a meal. Right. And, and, and I will say that even the place that I was at first when I first uh, had my uh, uh, wound injury, mm -hmm. I was transferred to another location, um, they only served one meal a day. Oh my God, that's that so the, inhumane. And that was at dinner time. And you had to supply your own utensils and, and, and plates and that kind of thing. Where the hell <laughs> so, are people gonna get those from? Exactly, well, you could, you know, some folks, if you were able to, could get a pass and go to the store and that kind of stuff. but you were required to supply those things. And the reason why I know that is because, which I was going to do anyway, but someone that I know actually brought me some utensils and plates and stuff and napkins. And I guess the, the supervisor knew about it or found out about it. And I was in the, in the dining room and he called me out. I was like, oh, well, you know, and I'm like, well, you know, first of all, I had planned on you know, once I saw that the supply was going to get low, was going to give it to them anyway. But he just felt like he needed to, you know, uh, sh show his superiority, I guess. And he had problems with me anyway, because uh, I don't know why, because I never didn't do anything to him. But I mean, I was there because I was sick. Yeah. And, and the wound that I had uh, was had been infected. So there was a slight smell to it. But with antibiotics and stuff, that went away. But, you know, he was accusing me of not bathing and all that kind of stuff. And that wasn't the issue at all. It was because my wound was infected and- <laughs> Oh my God. And it's, you know, so anyway, I just say, but you know, as far as the shelter system is concerned, you know, they get a lot of money, um, government money yeah. to house homeless people. Yeah, and yeah. I know, and then, you know, the last number I heard as far as DC was concerned, it was somewhere around 100 or $150 a night for each bed that's filled. That's how much they get. A night. Oh my God. For each per, bed. Per bed. Per bed. So oh, there's so an incentive weird. to keep the beds filled. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's the one thing. And then the other thing is they don't, I mean, yes, they provide you with a shower. They might give you a snack or something before you leave. And some places do, you know, provide a meal or, or so, but this, for what you're getting for the money that they're receiving isn't a lot. So yeah. that, so you tend to say, so, so where is this money going, right? I mean, if you have a hundred bed shelter, which is not a huge shelter, I mean, it's a decent size. 
if you're getting $150 a night for each bed, you can just do the math yourself and see what kind of money they're getting Yeah, in government funds. And that we're not talking about outside donations from folks and that kind of thing. And then multiply that by 365 days a year. Exactly. Going into the the pockets of these shelters. Right. Run the shelters. Right. And and you have an executive director making, you know, a six digit income. Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't be paid fairly for their jobs. Don't get me wrong. But, you know. (laughs) Um, But if you're not providing food and utensils and plates like that's and right. that's, and, and the owner of the shelter is making over six figures that's well, there's, there's something wrong there yeah the, the well you know the 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 owner or the, or the executive director because yeah. i mean a lot of these places are being run by other organizations like you okay. know, catholic, catholic charities uh runs a few shelters oh jesus um, would be pissed at that um and you know so and even at that one shelter that i was at before i went to the other and it was another it was supposed to be an infirmary uh in the shelter before i went to this other healthcare facility um when i got there the place was filthy uh the showers the bathrooms there was no toilet paper um the, the handicapped shower just had a hose hanging from it. There was no shower head. What? It, it was, it, it was insane. There was no soap. It was just insane. And, uh, and there was, you know, pest running around and, and the place was filthy. And I was just like, wow, this is supposed to be an infirmary. You could get sicker being here right. <laughs> than right. just being on the streets. And, you know, and then just just all other things, but essentially the services they're received aren't adequate. And, um, and I believe that the last number that I heard, I think it was something like 25 cents out of every dollar being spent is actually going to the people who need it. And that's okay. usually kind of social services in general. So, uh, well, there's a glimmer of hope. What, 25 cents out of every dollar? Yeah. Well, I mean. Compared to a, an organization that's getting $150 per bed per night. Right, but what, I'm, but what I'm saying is that the people who need the services out of every dollar that's being spent, right? So, so let's take the example of the $100. Yeah, I'm not following. <laughs> okay, so, so let's, instead of saying $150, let's, let's make it easy and say a, per, a place is getting $100 a night. Yes. Okay. $25 out of that $100 is actually being used for the person who needs the services. Oh, so, so the person that run the people that are running the shelters get $75 out of that 100 per Right, or per 75%, right. Yeah, okay, I see. Which is getting eaten up in, you know, uh, overhead costs. And, and the thing is, you know, and again, I understand that Places need to pay, you know, water bill, light bill, gas, electric, and salaries. But, you know, not come on. Not, not that much money. Yeah, you would think. <laughs> <laughs> like, it sounds like for-profit prison system to me, some of these places. Well, you know, and that, and that kind of folds into that because, and I think that kind of leads into, and I don't know if you might ask this down the road, but kind of, the, you know, 
Let's dive into there's, there's it now. A profit, <laughs> there's a profit in homelessness. There's a profit in pro- poverty. Right. And and there's and there's an incentive to keep a, a group of people in that condition so that you can continually keep making money off of them. And right. people understand that. People say, "Oh, that's you know, it's kind of cynical." No, it's the truth. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and there's and there's statistics out there that can support that. Um, there's been research and uh, there's a book uh, that I read a few years ago and, and um, the author's name is Matthew Desmond. Mm-hmm. wrote a book called uh, Poverty, um, or no, Evicted, Poverty and Profit in an American City. Yeah. And, he, and, he, and he details uh, four families that he followed in their s- situations. And you could see how you know, this, there's, there's really no incentive to help people get out. The incentive is to keep people in. Yes, because there's too much money. Like in, in America, if you want to find out why there's a problem going on, follow the money trail. Exactly, exactly. And that's, you know, and granted, I mean, I'm not necessarily sitting here saying that I'm a socialist and, and I believe in socialism. We do have socialistic parts of our government, our government services. Yeah, already. Right, already. And I think our government has a responsibility to have a safety net for folks who do fall through the cracks. But Mm -hmm. the the bureaucracy shouldn't be such to where it it prevents people from getting out. Right. You know, and uh, we should be here trying to help people up. And, and most people that I have come across and know that are homeless, they're not looking for a handout. They really aren't. They just want an opportunity. Yeah, they want a bed. <laughs> they want a bed. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, the Reagan administration began the homelessness crisis we see today 30 years ago when he, as I like to call it, hibachied. He didn't slash the federal housing and mental health care budgets. He hibachied those bitches. Um, what would you like to see in terms of policy, policy change when it comes to creating more affordable housing? Well, you know, I, I know there was an issue with the public housing system and a lot of cities have done away with the old model because they said it wasn't, um, it wasn't successful, um, you know, and, and there could be a lot of reasonings behind that and now that you know we have this uh, voucher system that's supposed to help but i I don't necessarily think the vouchers are the way to go either i I think there there needs to be some type of a of a hybrid of the old housing programs that used to be in place along with the vouchers and i know some cities do this but um I think there needs to be a cap. What do you mean? Well, you know, and this is, I'm, I'm probably going to <laughs> step on some folks' toes, but. Um, you can't please well, everybody. Well, no, no, you can't, you can't. Um, but as far as rent is concerned, there should be some type of control measure set on rent. Um, I mean, that again, going back to um, people who are, and I'll bring this example up, uh, you know, Alice is an old TV, you know, sitcom 
from the 80s, 70s, 80s. And I was thinking about this one day, you know, Alice was a waitress in a diner. Now, granted, this is a fictitious story, mm-hmm. but there is some truth in fiction, right? Yeah. She was working as a waitress in this diner that wasn't, you know, <laughs> you're not going to get rich working at Mel's Diner. <laughs> but she was a single mother with a growing son and was able to afford a one-bedroom apartment. Yeah, but this was the 70s and 80s. Right. Good luck now with yeah. that, right? <laughs> the minimum wage has not increased. And right. The cost, the cost of housing has, I don't know what the percentage is, but it's a high percentage has increased. Um, yeah, like I live in New York City and a one-bedroom apartment is insane. Yeah. I mean, you know, like even watching, and talking about that, watching an episode of, of The Cosby Show, you know, there's an episode where Theo was talking about how he was going, you know, just graduate from high school and get a job and, you know, that kind of thing. But the rent at that time was like $400 a month. For a, <laughs> for, for a, like, that might have been an efficiency, but for an apartment in New York. Good luck seeing that today, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I'm not saying that rent, can, you know, it's going to go up. But when you have, you know, your cost of living you know, things going up and your salary is staying the same, how are you going to make it? You know, you're forcing people into poverty. Yeah, like people are pushing for this $15 minimum wage, but that's still not an affordable wage in in pretty much every metropolitan city in America. Exactly. I mean, like, I think- it's, it's ridiculous. Right, and I think Bernie Sanders you know, uh, he, I love, I love Bernie. I think you know he was saying, or or his people, or things, or or um, studies that were coming out was saying actually, you know, as far as doing the living wage, a person needed to be making at least twenty two dollars an hour. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, it, it, and even and even with getting back to the fifteen dollars an hour. Now, granted, with this pandemic, that might be a plus side because I see now more and more places are offering $15 an hour because they're having problems finding people to, <laughs> who want to work. <laughs> um, because of CARES so, Act, CARES Act know, like here's, here's $800 a month. <laughs> right. So, you know, so you have places like McDonald's and, and uh, uh, I think Walmart, some other places I read, maybe not Walmart, but other places I read, they're offering $15 an hour now. But even with that, I mean, I remember the, you know, the whole push on raising the minimum wage to $15 an hour. I, I really thought, okay, that's great, but it's kind of a farce as well because they were talking about a phased in process. Like, you know, we're gonna raise minimum wage to $15 an hour by 2024. Well, what? yeah, that doesn't work because people need $15 an hour today. Literally, they needed, it. They needed it 15 years ago. Exactly. So. <laughs> I mean, you're going to still be in the same position four years from now or three years from now. Once you get to $15, you're still going to be underpaid. Yeah. So, like um, in New York City, $15 an hour does not even cover, like, you could, you got to live in an apartment with three other roommates and you still couldn't afford that place. So right. you definitely can't afford a one bedroom at $15 an hour. Exactly. Exactly. So it, it it's, you know, the system is, has been broken. Yeah. And it's need, been broken need, through greed. And we need, a, we need affordable housing. 
now? We need affordable housing now. Um, we need some type of federally regulated housing program. Yes. Um, that will, I mean, even if the government has to be, which they were, has to become landlords, which I know they don't want to do. But you know what? If that's what it needs to happen, that needs to happen. Because at least if you have a federally run um, building, you can, you know, keep the rents at a level that is affordable. Um, but again, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily see that the government has to solve all the problems. I mean, I think you have to have some private industry input, but you have to have people with the right motives. Yeah. So, yeah. so if, if you go, if you have private industry do it, then they have to be regulated. You know, they have to have guidelines they have to follow. Um, because yeah, America's not too good at regulating private industries, though. <laughs> no, they're not because, because of lobbyists and everything else, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and we see what's going on now in Congress. I mean, uh, it's just it's just a madhouse right now in Washington. Yeah. So um, you know, it's it's a it's a complicated topic, and, it, and, it, and you know, the, yeah, what's been going very many levels to it. It is, and and what's been going on what's going on now has been going on for over 30 years. I mean, uh, there's a video um, that people can look up online where uh, Whoopi Goldberg and um, Robin Williams was at a Senate hearing committee about homelessness Yeah. back when they were doing the old comic relief right. uh, fundraisers. Mm -hmm. And the issues that, that uh, Robin Williams was talking about in that video, I think it's around 1992, are the same issues that are going on today, you know? So it's yeah. like, what, nothing has changed in 30 years. Yeah, like so clearly these, this treatment first or traditional approaches, like it doesn't work. Like, it, exactly. 30, 30 years, still a crisis. It does, it, the, whatever people are, these people are doing now does not work clearly. But, like I'm, I like to use like, um, like the vaccine, for example, Mm -hmm. um and this is gonna offend some people but like so like 40 percent so black americans make up 40 percent of the homeless population yet make up only 13 percent of the general population right and my theory and assumption is that that's one reason why the american government hasn't done enough to um to try to eliminate homelessness and and like the vaccine like COVID came out and they got that vaccine out and they called it Operation Warp Speed, but it went from warp speed to the speed of light once rich white billionaires were, were at risk of dying. Mm -hmm. Like they'd never come out with a vaccine that fast in the history of the world. Right. <laughs> so like, and then another comparison is, is the AIDS epidemic, like 50 years, like 700,000 Americans have died of AIDS 50 years and there's still no cure because it's quote unquote a uh, gay disease so like they so like there's no push because of all this homophobia and stuff like that um to to actually come up with a cure for it well that's, that's my two cents <laughs> well uh, you know and and, and 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 again when i was talking about the housing issue and there's other parts of that i mean our, our, uh, the public housing system and even our inner city uh, neighborhoods 
have its roots in the New Deal. And, <laughs> and when you break it, and I'm not saying the New Deal was all bad, but, you know, there were, there were things that, there were parts of it that created uh, inner city poverty for black folks, you know, and, and, yeah, like, and as far like, as, like redlining. Redlining, exactly. It produces, it produces ghettos. Exactly, exactly. It, it produced, and, and, you know, and then also um, you mentioned uh, AIDS. I mean, I remember, I remember when they start reporting about AIDS and they didn't even have a name for it then. They just said that it was this, just this mysterious disease that was being detected in the Haitian refugees. Oh my God. Right. So uh, because even, at that so time, there's even a racist part to that. Well, I mean, what, and what was going on at the time was there was a lot of people escaping Haiti because there was a lot of uh, turmoil going on in Haiti and they, yeah. and people were coming yeah. over in boats. Right. Yeah. And they were, and they were finding, they were detecting this virus in them. And then later on, they finally came up with the name, you know, uh, AIDS autoimmune deficiency syndrome. But then from there, it stemmed to, like you said, um, you know, homosexuals. Yeah. And, but then once it started to jump into the heterosexual community, then that's when it's like, oh, we have a problem. Yeah. And then they were like, oh, it's an epidemic now. Right. And yeah. just like with, with drug use in this country, I mean, oh, as, long as, as long as drugs were being confined to the inner city urban neighborhoods, yeah. a.k.a. black neighborhoods, yeah. it wasn't a problem. But once the middle class white kids started going into the ghetto to get the drugs and yeah. were dying of overdoses and things, it's like, oh my gosh, we have a problem. Right. We, you know, create this fictitious war on um, on drugs. Yeah, especially in like the opioid epidemic, it didn't become a epidemic until until white people started getting addicted to heroin and dying. Right. Um, and then now it's like this huge thing. And, and I believe I want to say Purdue, uh, maybe that's the wrong place, but whatever um, organization came out with the drugs and we're pushing them knowing that, that people would get addicted. So they would keep, oh, yeah. keep yeah. on making money and making money. And then other pharmaceutical organizations right. hopped, hopped on the bandwagon, like, oh, we could get rich with shit off of this. So like it didn't become an issue until white Americans started dying from from overdoses. Right. And we have, you know, we have to understand that, you know, and I know this has been, you know, this has been brought out a lot over the past year or so. Um, you know, people say, well, the United States is a racist country, blah, blah, blah. You know, and, and I and I understand how some people say that it's not a racist country, but we have to acknowledge that there is systematic racism still built into our systems in this country. It's the foundation until, of our nation. It's, it's the foundation, exactly. And until we acknowledge that truth, then can we come up with real solutions to the problem. Right. Uh, right. You're not gonna change people's mindsets, right? And I think, you know, Especially, Oprah, not, especially not the baby boomers. <laughs> well, I think it, it well, yeah, I think the, the baby boomers, and I'm a baby boomer, I'm, a, I'm kind of the tail end of it. <laughs> but um, you're not a white baby boomer. <laughs> no, well, you know, I think, you know, there's a lot of positive things that came out of, you know, the 60s and the uh, distressed 
protests and things that happened. Yeah, in the 70s and the anti-war protests. Right. I think what happened, though, is a lot of those folks became part of the, the establishment. Yeah. And yeah. so, and, and it goes on both sides. I mean, um, they kind of they, they get like sucked into the, like they tried to get into make change and then they got sucked into the, right. the politics of it all. Right, right. And I'm even looking at, you know, some, some of, some uh, African-Americans, I mean, um, they got their piece of the pie and, and they kind of got complacent, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it's going to take, and it is taking th this generation now that's coming up, yeah. the, uh, the uh, Xers and the, uh, you have to help me with the different generations. Uh, oh yeah, um, millennials uh, and Gen Z. Right, right. To, to really, because I think they have the fire that was kind of lost with the 60s civil rights movement and so forth. Right. Now with everything that's going on now, they're like, wait a minute, this this stuff isn't right. <laughs> you yeah, know? like you and see it, you see like young, young children holding protest signs up at these protests, like Black Lives Matter protests, um, right. um, mass shootings, like protests against gun violence and all of that. Like you see little children, like, so I have hope for the future because the kids are the future and they're very, they're very aware of what's going on in this country. So yeah. that's a good thing. Yeah, exactly. So question. <laughs> what'd you say? I don't know if that answered your question. <laughs> oh, I mean, we're just having a conversation. It's all good. Okay. Um, so where do the large, uh, I don't know if I want to ask, I'll ask it anyway. Where do the largest issues lie when it comes to eliminating homelessness in the U.S.? We already kind of talked about it, but. Well, you know, affordable housing again. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think uh, services, one thing that I've come across in talking to folks is that uh, it's, it's hard for them to get what they need. And, and I guess what I'm, I'm saying is like housing, for example, in the voucher program, mm -hmm. um, you know, you have to go and you have to sign up and, you know, and then you have to wait. Yeah, but what if you don't have an address? <laughs> well, yeah, that, 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 that's going to lead me to my other topic, right? Because, okay. you know, you have to every year, you have to go and um, update your information. And right. if you don't do that, you get dropped. Yeah. Now, just like you said, if you don't have an address, they can't mail you the notice. Mm -hmm. um, some folks don't have an email. Yeah. Um, so, or, or even a phone. Like, or a to... phone. So they go in to check to see maybe what's going on with their voucher, come to find out, well, you know, they weren't notified or they didn't receive the notification. So they got dropped off the list and now they have to start all over again. Yeah, then they can they could be on the streets for another three years or in the shelter system for another three years before they get the opportunity to get another voucher with the number of home, people experiencing homelessness in America. Like that's the long waiting list. I've, I've talked to some people who were waiting on a voucher for 10 years. That's disgusting. Um, now, you know, that's kind of at the, the, the one you know, extreme end of the spectrum. Um, but, yeah. even, but even if you get the voucher, which is somewhere within about five years time period, which is still unacceptable mm -hmm. uh, because they only limit a certain amount of vouchers they give out in a year, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's very yeah. underfunded. Right, it's underfunded. Um, and so, you know, they, they, they get the voucher and then you have a certain amount of time to where you have to use the voucher. Mm -hmm. 
And if you don't use it in that period of time, then you lose it and you have to start the process all over again. Yeah. Uh, there are supposed to be, you know, um, these apartment buildings as well. They have certain units set aside for affordable housing. Mm-hmm. And, but they don't, <laughs> I, I, again, I know of at least three cases that people told me where they had gone to a place, everything was lined up for them to move in. And then the last minute they were told, oh, the place got rented to someplace else. Sorry. Jesus. Um, and even, you know, locally in DC, there was an article about uh, how there were these places that were ref- refusing people with vouchers, even though they had the, the space. Yeah. They were refusing people, which is illegal, mind yeah. you. Yeah. But they were doing it. And the reason why they were doing it was because there was nobody enforcing the law. So they knew that they could turn people away and, and nothing would be done to them, right? Yeah. Um, like, and there's this, in some cities and states in America, there's the, they have no cause eviction laws where they can just evict you for no reason at all. Right. Which is um, just legalized discrimination in my eyes. Yeah. And, and, you, and that's, you know, you have people who, like, I, there's, there's a, a couple of elderly folks that I know on that, were on the streets, I think they still are, who uh, they were in an apartment building for years and because of rent control, uh, there, you know, there are some buildings that still fall under rent control in DC. Um, and the building was bought by a new management company and they, couldn't, they went up on the rent and they couldn't afford it. Or they went to renovate the place. Yeah, that's, then, that's the loophole. That's the loophole, right? They renovate it, raise the rent, and the people can't afford it. And yeah. If you're a senior citizen on a fixed income, you know, you can't, you know, <laughs> you can't afford rent and to eat and your yeah. medicine, especially yeah. if you have medication, mm-hmm. right? So it, it's just this wicked, wicked loophole. Yeah. Uh, but again, you know, it like, shouldn't be so hard. You shouldn't have to, you know, you, you shouldn't have to jump through hoops to prove that you're homeless. <laughs> yeah, like, uh. I don't know, but and then and then that adds on to the other thing about you know find just finding a job. I mean, if you, it's hard to fill out a job application if you don't have an address to put down. Exactly. You need identification, and to get identification, guess what? You need an address. Yeah. Now there are there are ways of getting around that, right? You can go to some services you can use like some um, um, there's some organizations where you can use their address as your address to get your ID and you have you have your mail sent there and so forth but that's a rare you know, case though like those are yeah, just, they're not free they're not everywhere those organizations. right they're not everywhere um, and sometimes they'll pay for the fees in order for you to get your ID and that kind of thing but even still you just have to go through so much yeah um, it's just uh, so you know th- those are the pitfalls that people fall into that it, it shouldn't be so hard to just get kind of the basic necessities to help people. Yeah, like housing is a human right. It is a human right. <laughs> I wrote I wrote a children's book. It's getting published in October. Actually, it's called Housing Is a Human Right, and it's about the tent camps at Skid Row, and. Mm. 
Um, I was very shocked to find out that there is no children's book titled Housing is a Human Right, but I was sure as shit happy I was the first one to think of it. Because <laughs> 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 it's a powerful statement for children for children's book. And, and then uh, my goal is to, the theme of the book is empathy. And the goal is to teach kids at a young age that, um, that we need to have more empathy and understand homelessness and how how housing is a human right and and so they grow up with these ideologies and don't end up like um people today that have all these misconceptions and and they hold the stigmas against people experiencing homelessness so right hopefully hopefully that book takes off because that would be cool yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I had to i had to plug the book of course in my podcast well, of course. i mean you know it's, it's a great thing because you know, like you said, the children are our future. And yeah. I think you know, children are inherently empathetic. Um, right, right. But if that's not cultivated, if that's not, you know, if, 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 if your child sees someone on the street and needs, you know, and, and someone's asking, you know, for help and they want to help, then you should let them. But you have some parents say, oh, you know, come along, you know, no. You do that, you'll just encourage them, you know, not to do for themselves and that kind of thing. Yeah. No, I mean, if a child wants to help, let them help. And there's so many kids, you know, I'm so encouraged about so many kids that are out there doing just some great things. Right. And they're doing these great things because they have great parents who are encouraging them mm -hmm. to do these great things, right? Yeah. Uh, so I just think it's awesome. Um, so I, I, I do see hope. <laughs> me too me too optimism is a choice as i say a lot. exactly exactly so what do you believe are the best things that regular citizens can do to help people experiencing homelessness in america you know it, it seems kind of trite to say it but just kindness yeah you know it doesn't hurt to be kind it doesn't yeah, hurt to be quite, quite opposite, actually. Right. It doesn't hurt to be compassionate mm -hmm. and empathetic. Empath empathetic. I mean, uh, I think you know the more empathy. You know, it's interesting. I think I think a lot of people have sympathy. They feel sorry for someone who's homeless. Right. That's there's a difference between sympathy and empathy. Right. But they are not necessarily empath. Yeah, empathy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can't. My mouth. Em em empathetic. Empathy, right, thank you. It's not, my, my mouth's not working right now. But, um, you know, it's that whole idea of putting ourselves, and that's one of the whole issues behind Elmwood United was, one, to unite different organizations, kind of like a cartel, if you will, of Because <laughs> this is what I was thinking, right? Because there's a woman that used to walk past me, and and she, you know, was uh, kind. We would talk, and, and, and she was talking about the United Way and about how, um, you know, the different United Way organizations. I said, wow, that'd be great, United Way, United. And they say, oh, Homeless United, you know, yeah. because the United Way has these different organizations that are doing things to help folks. Right. And so my idea was, well, you know, with Homeless United, let's, you know, organize these other organizations that are out there to work together rather than working apart and help bring it into this because you have every, you have so many groups doing their own thing 
and no one seems to be working together. Exactly. Like that, that was the before I let you go question that I was about to ask you is so like, I, there are like hundreds of coalitions to end homelessness in America. And my question was going to be like, what are the barriers that separate these organizations from joining forces and working towards their same common goal, which is obviously ending homelessness. Like right. I just, it just baffles me that you, like they don't combine money to to do to con, to do the same to accomplish the same goal that they all have so it's just it's it's a weird thing to me that that it's not a, it's not more common that these organizations are working together I've well been to, i've been told that they're starting to now because of the zoom world which is good because you don't have to travel everywhere like these organizations can meet and on zoom and but i mean and like over the past 30 years or whatever like that hasn't been a thing, but I, again, I have hope. I'm optimistic that that'll start to become more frequent that these organizations start to join forces because I mean, philanthropy can only go so far. Like these organizations um, that receive government funding, mm-hmm. like they, I, I believe that they need to, they need to get together and figure it out. <laughs> right. And it's not, you know, it's not, it's not hard to figure out. I mean, you know, most things in life have easy solutions. Um, it's not really that complicated. And, you know, and, and, and which, you know, I know this is what your passion is, the Housing First program. Right. Um, you know, it, that is, it's quite simple. I mean, you know, yeah. and, and the idea of, you know, as far as the old way or the way that's in place now, is okay, we'll, we'll put you in a treatment program. And I'm just using that for example. Say mm-hmm. you have an addiction, you know, to, and they put you in a treatment program. And then after you go through the program, then we'll find you someplace to live. And then you're kind of on your own. Yeah. So with, you know, housing first, which I think is great is because there's an incentive built in to stay housed, right? Yeah. So we're going to put you in a nice, housing. Right. We're going to put you in a place, but you guys stay in the program in order to keep the place. And people say, well, geez, you know, so you're forcing, well, no, I mean, it's still a choice. Yeah, you don't, hey. have, you don't have to seek the supporting services with the with the Housing First model that Dr. Samson Barris created. He created the model on the basis of the support services are voluntary, but there are some organizations that have taken it and twisted it and made it mandatory. Right. But that's not the original model that my current boss, Dr. Samson Barris, who invented the model, that's not the model he created. It's voluntary services. Mm-hmm. A special thanks goes out to the man, the myth, the legend, Ice Cream, an amazing music producer, and more importantly, an amazing human being for providing music for this podcast. You can find him on social media and all music platforms at I-C-E-K-R-E-A-M. Charles Purcell and I will be doing a part two of this episode, so stay tuned for that. Them are the guns, but how we have the numbers?